Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Focus on Albany. I'm Cynthia Pooler. My guest today is Blair Horner, and we're going to continue the conversation about the new redistricted maps. So everything's been settled, and the new maps are drawn, and some people are upset, some people are happy. What's your view, Blair? Well, I think New Yorkers should be upset that this new process that was put in place didn't work, and they should demand uh, that the system be fixed. Um, that being said, I mean, the, peop- the, the people who are happy, of course, are the winners in redistricting, and the people who are unhappy are the losers in redistricting. That pretty much falls along party lines, Democrats being winners and Republicans being losers. But that's, you know, that's not a surprise. Uh, but I think, generally speaking, New Yorkers should demand uh, reform. Well, it didn't work, did it? Well, the reform from 10 years ago uh, did not work. And um, uh, I hate to say I told you so, but I told you so. And 10 mm-hmm. years ago, we opposed the change because we didn't think it would work, and it didn't work. So, you know, that doesn't mean, you know, democracy is a work in progress. You have to keep at it. And so we'll be pushing again to try to get the system fixed by the year 2032. So as of right now, the the way the map is drawn, it's going to be just as it is for the next 10 years, right? Well, unless, I mean, there is another shoe to drop. I mean, the the you're right that the legislation passed and was approved by the governor and is the law of the state of New York. Uh, but there have been legal challenges, and whether or not the challenges are successful in the court will determine whether or not there are changes. Assuming that the lines are in, that stay in place are in place, they'll be in place for the next 10 years. So uh, even in the Capital District, there's, there were kind of, I think, pretty significant um, changes, like for the assembly district in the city of Albany. Uh, It used to be halfway between Pat Fahey and John McDonald. Now, Pat Fahey has the entire city of Albany, and um, John McDonald was redistricted out. And I think that was pretty interesting because um, Sam Fine, who's a county legislator, was going to challenge John McDonald uh, for the assembly, and he was, um, John McDonald was redistricted out of Albany, which means that that Sam Fine can no longer run in a primary against him. I found that really very interesting. Um, so I'm sure maybe that happened in other parts of the state. But in Albany, I was kind of amused by the whole thing. What do you think? No, I think that makes sense. I mean, you know, there's a logic to why you would want a city of 90,000 people to be contained within one assembly district, which is roughly 130,000 people. It's understandable Mm -hmm. why map makers would draw the maps that way. 
you want to try as best as you can to keep communities of interest together. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, there may be collateral damage with, with regard to challengers. I mean, I certainly have read articles across the state where it was, it was been viewed as the lines as being pro incumbent, but I mean, we haven't been, you know, we're not involved in partisan activity, so I don't really know where the challengers that might've think might've been thinking about running for office where they all live. And Delgado's district was um, reshaped, right? Yeah, all of, I mean, all of the congressional districts were changed in, you know, not insignificant ways. Um, the state of New York lost the congressional seat. And so in order to have 26 seats in New York, the population sizes of each district had to go up. And so you have districts all had to be changed in order to both deal with the parts of the state where population were lost and populations were gained, but also because there's fewer congressional seats and each seat had more people. So it's roughly 777,000 people now in each congressional district. And that's about 20 to 30,000 more than last time. And, you know, so that obviously is going to have a big impact, particularly in upstate New York where population was lost and particularly in central New York and to some extent, Western New York, the population declined over time and the growth in New York state's population was in the greater New York city metropolitan area and up, up the Hudson Valley. So for Delgado's district to capture 777,000 people, he had to go West young man and picked up areas out by Utica and Binghamton, New York. And he also picked up Delmar and Rensselaer, right? He picked, yeah, he picked up uh, suburban Albany. So again, why map makers drew the lines the way they did, of course, is, uh, you know, who knows, but um, there is a rationale as to why the district had to get bigger geographically. Uh, but, you know, the map makers who make, who make the decisions of what towns are in and what towns are out were basically the Democrats. And so, you know, whether or not they did something illegal, the courts will find out. A friend of mine who lives in St. Louis, uh, we've, met, we've talked about the uh, 435 number for, you know, a, a few times. And his contention is why uh, hasn't the number of, Congress, Congress people expanded. Why is it always 535? Why, it, why hasn't it increased to like 550 or 500? What do you think about that? I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a legitimate question. I mean, it, over time, the number of the members of the House of Representatives has gone up. And I don't remember the last time it, when it, changed, it capped it at 435. It's been a long time, though, probably half a century. And mm-hmm. um, there's, you know, I mean, the population's got doubled probably during that period of time. So, I mean, it's an interesting question. I mean, these districts get to be so big. Uh, 777,000 people is a very big district. And that, you know, they're more or less the same all across the country, unless you're in a state uh, like Vermont, where you, there's not 777,000 people, but they're entitled to one congressional district under the Constitution. So, it's up to the you know the Congress to sort of begin the process to change that. 
But, you know, I assume the rationale is, you know, that at some point, when does a 435-person House of Representatives become too big to manage? And that's, Mm -hmm. I guess, the pressure on the other side, right? I mean, how do you have, you know, how do you manage a a house that, let's have, you could easily have, you know, 900 people in there if you kept growing at the pace of the the population growth. When does it get too big? I mean, some people argue 435 is too big to manage. Uh, It seems as though um, the congressional districts are the it it favors the incumbents it it like for instance uh Stephanic's district it it was made even safer for her and a lot of the uh districts are made safer for incumbents do you think that's an accurate statement yeah, I think so by and large. I mean, there are incumbents like Representative Kenny, for example, who lost her district and now is talking about running in a district that she doesn't live in uh, in order to stay in the House. <clears throat> so some members, you know, by and large, the members benefited. But uh, Representative Jacobs out in Western New York, he's not a happy camper. His district now runs from northern Buffalo all the way up to Watertown. Um, uh, but, you know, again, he, I mean, he still has a district, I suppose. That's one way to look at it. I mean, the Democrats, you know, they, 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 the Democratic members of the House are in pretty good shape as a result of the way the lines are drawn. And the Republicans, like the woman in Staten Island and Penny, uh, they are, you know, they have, much, they have a much tougher hill to climb. So when you say we lost one congressional seat, what do you say? Well, the way that the, the House of Representatives works, and we just talked about this, is, you know, there's 435 seats, and every 10 years, there's a new census. And the first step after the census is done is there's something called reapportionment, which is how do you apportion the 435 congressional seats to the states to reflect the population changes? And so over the last 10 years, New York's population grew but it didn't grow as much as the rest of the country grew. And so relative to the rest of the country, uh, New York's population shrunk relative to the rest of the country by one congressional seat. And so that seat got moved to another state uh, that, where the population growth exceeded the uh, increase in the average population of the country. So we are going to be uh, – if I'm, if I'm correcting my thinking – then we're going to be one less congressperson in New York State, right? Yeah, I mean, in the Congress, New York State's pop, uh, New York State's political clout will diminish starting in on January one, twenty twenty three, okay. uh, because we will have one fewer member of the House. Okay, from how you're looking at it, and of course, you and I don't have a crystal ball, and neither does anybody else. Who do you think is going to be eliminated? Is it going to be a process of two congressional candidates primary for one district 
How is that going to work? How are we going to lose well, one the way, Congress? Well, well, what they did is they redid the lines, and instead of having 27 districts, there's 26, right? So um, effectively, a central New York district was vaporized, which is Representative Tanny's district. And there were various retirements. So Representative Swazi from Long Island is running for governor, so that seat is now open. Mm-hmm. They changed Representative Zeldin's district. He's running for governor. They changed it to make it mm-hmm. more competitive for Democrats. So that may change. But really, where the, where the district was lost was essentially in central New York. And that's where the population was lost. In, for the congressional seats, you have to have the exact same number of people in them. And so while the lines can be drawn craftily to benefit one party over the other, the populations within the districts have to be the same. And since upstate lost population, downstate gained population in New York, uh, where, they, where the congressional district was lost is in upstate and central New York, essentially. You know, the prerequisites for being a candidate is different for different offices. Like a few minutes ago, I mentioned Sam Fine, and Sam Fine has to live in the district in which he wants to run in. But if you say Claudia Tenney was um, redistricted out of where she represents now, that doesn't make any difference between because a a person can run in a congressional district in which they do not live in, right? Well, that's true, right? After the census, yeah. I mean, wherever it gets scrambled, you can run for office from outside of the district. Um, but, um, it, you know, once if you win, you have to move into the district. Okay. So Penny doesn't because, have to move unless she wins. Okay, because I remember uh, in 1984, I had run for the state assembly, and the person who was running for Congress was Ed Block, and he was running against Jerry Solomon, but Ed Block did not live in that district. He lived right outside that district in Latham. So, you know, that's when I knew that a congressional candidate does not have to live in the district that they run in. But if they win, they have to move in, is my understanding. Okay. 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 So um, is everything still up in the air? You're saying there's going to be court cases, but, you know, it won't be too long before the petitioning process starts. What do you envision? Well, you you know, we'll see what the courts do. I mean, the the, historically, the courts tend to stay out of this. Now, this time around, the courts in other states have been more active. And what makes New York different than in the past is there are new constitutional provisions that the Republicans are focusing on to argue the Democrats gerrymandered in illegally gerrymandered districts in New York state. We'll see what happens, right? I mean, you know, the courts will be the courts and they'll decide what they're going to do. You're right that if the courts weigh in and make the, and either 
require the, the state legislature to redraw the lines. There could be complete chaos, for sure, going into the district and into the uh, primary elections in June. Um, and, you know, again, that goes back to my earlier point, which is if you had an independent redistricting commission that was truly in charge, not the legislature, it was truly in charge, the public would know that they may not, if they don't like the lines, it's not because they're being rigged for partisan advantage, which is essentially what Republicans are uh, alleging in New York. Now, it's sort of, of course, ironic because they're doing the same thing in states where they control. Um, and, you know, they're being challenged by the court in those states by the Democrats, right? So, I mean, really, the, what right. has to happen is a national reform so that this, is, this sort of monkey business isn't playing out all across the country. No, there is no independent redistricting commission in New York State. How many other states do have a independent redistricting commission that does does this instead of the legislatures? Well, there's, I mean, in New York, they called it an independent redistricting commission, but it was really bipartisan redistricting commission. And even when the Constitution passed in New York and they called it independent, technically the legislature still controlled it. So, the, you know, there are most, the vast majority of states, the legislature draws the lines. I mean, that's the U.S. Constitution cedes that authority to the states. It's up to the states to decide how they want to do it. The vast majority of them, the legislature is doing. There are, a, a, you know, a, a number that have ver- varieties of that, New York being one of them. But the state that has what most people view as sort of the best practice in the country is California, uh, which has, a, you know, an independent redistricting process where the governor and the legislature are involved in picking who the commissioners are, but it's open to the public and it's very hard. The way they've sort of set it up is very hard to rig it for one party advantage over another. Uh, and so California's system is generally viewed by people who look at this as uh, best practice in the country. Mm. So now again, you know, in all of these cases, of course, to some extent, the power, the political power in the way the lines are drawn <clears throat> reflects what's happening in the state. So in New York, for example, you know, the in- over the last uh, 10 years, the increase in the number of Republicans has been a total in- enrolled Republicans has been about 18,000. And the increase in the number of enrolled Democrats is almost 850,000. So New York no. is a blue state and it's becoming blue all the time. And so you'd expect that the districts would favor Democrats because New York favors Democrats. Now, mm-hmm, that's, mm-hmm. that's where the courts come in, right? I mean, the Republicans are arguing, yeah, we understand that, but the lines are drawn even more unfairly than the state should, you know, should be based on their interpretation. And that's why courts exist, of course, is to adjudicate that conflict. But in New York, the fact that there's an overwhelming number of Democrats in all levels of government is to some extent a reflection of what's happening in the, the electorate itself. California now, is the same way. Now, for years, the uh, Republicans had the majority in the state Senate, and the Democrats had the majority in the Assembly. So now both houses are strictly Democrat. So when, when the 
when the state senate was Republican, did the 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 redistricting process go a lot smoother? In other words, like at well, the no. end, and when everything was no, done, I mean, it's, done. it's more or less. Yeah, it's more or less the same. I mean, the, the big difference ten years ago. I mean, the Republicans, the way it used to work for the last four. Uh, redistricting is the assembly drew the lines for the, the Democrats drew the lines for the assembly because they controlled the assembly. The Republicans drew the lines for the state Senate because they controlled the Senate. That would be the deal they would cut and they would negotiate some sort of deal for Congress. Ten years ago, they couldn't agree. Courts drew the lines for Congress. So that's the that's a big difference from what happened now. And, but the Republican, it, it's not any smoother. There was litigation when it was over, the exact same sort of thing. Sometimes, by the way, in years past, there's been litigation that's been successful, and they've had to make changes in the map. So it's not inconceivable that something could happen. But it isn't any more or less smooth. You could argue this time was less smooth because the um, this, in, this so-called Independent Redistricting Commission took up a lot of time and didn't accomplish anything. Whereas in the past, they would the legislature would just figure it out themselves and then do whatever they wanted to do, right? So, you know, it's a different process this time, but it's, I would argue, not materially different than it was 10 years ago, except the courts drew the congressional lines. And last time around, there were 27 congressional districts. When the courts drew them, 21 of them were Democrats, and this time there's 26 districts. And the legislature drew 22 districts where the Democrats seem to have an advantage. So that's not that big of a difference, particularly if you look at the change in enrollment over the past 10 years that I talked about earlier. Who, who, was, who is on that commission? Uh, do, do ordinary people know? Who's on the commission? Doubt it. Um, but they have their own website, you know, Independent Redistricting Commission, IRC. Uh, is, oh. You know, if you Google it in New York, you'd find their names. Um, the, you know, it's a mix of um, people who are involved in the Democratic Party and former elected officials in the Republican Party, basically. And it was essentially yeah. five five, and that's why they couldn't agree on anything because the Democrats drew their maps and Republicans drew their maps, and they couldn't agree on what the maps should look like. And they ground to a halt, and the legislature drew their own lines. So it seems as though you had a lot of fun these past couple of months. <laughs> fun may not be the right word, but it's always very interesting because this only comes around once every ten years, and they have to do it right. So. Every 10 years, it's a little bit more interesting because, A, I know more, but also, B, there's some new wrinkle in it. This time it had a, a lot of new wrinkles. Wow. And and did the fact that, that we're in the midst of a pandemic, did that make it even more difficult? Well, I think it made it more difficult in the sense that because the census was late, and that's the underpinning of the whole operation, the census was done late. The commission, the so-called Independent Redistricting Commission, got data from the census later, six months later than they should have. That made wow. it harder for them to do their work. 
But it didn't really matter because they were going to go to gridlock anyway, we thought, anyway. Because why would Democrats and Republicans agree on anything, particularly when the Democrats have super majorities in both houses of the legislature and a Democratic governor? It's my understanding that a number of elected Republican officials are really angry about this. Um, So what legal recourse do they have? They're doing what they can, right? They've sued, uh, uh, challenging the line, saying that they were done illegally gerrymandered. And they probably have other critiques as well. Um, And, you know, that's why we have courts, right? I mean, that's somebody has to figure that out. So when when Cuomo kicked the can down the road ten years ago, has he made any public comments about um, the redrawn maps at all that you know of? Not that I know of, but he, I think we would both agree that he's had his hands full with lots of things happening around him. One of the reasons why he resigned uh, is because he has a swirling, you know, number of investigations buzzing around his head. I would think that this is the least important thing on his to-do list every day. Okay. Okay. So, Blair, what's in store for the next couple of months from your perspective? Well, now that redistricting's done, the big, you know, the big thing that moves to the front burner is going to be the, dealing with the state um, budget. Um, Mm -hmm. Governor Hochul has advanced her budget, and she has, uh, she's allowed to, after 30 days after she introduces it, she's allowed to make some changes, and so there will be probably some changes next week in her budget. The legislature's been holding hearings uh, on the state budget, and once they take the week off for President's Week, and when they come back, they'll shift into overdrive to try to get the budget done by the end of March. And so that's really the big issue. Mm-hmm. Then I think all eyes are on the primaries. Uh, the legislature okay. has a short second part of the session. They're going to get wrap up around Memorial Day, and then they're going to hit the campaign trail. So I, I don't expect there to be an enormous amount get done. There'll be always a lot of things get done. But I, I think that the legislature and the governor are going to try to wrap up the biggest issues in the context of the budget and then sort of, you know, get ready for June, which is primary season. Are you commuting every day or are you still working from home? Oh, no, I go to the office pretty much every day, and I have been now for a couple of months. I mean, it's, um, you know, it's a different rhythm to be in the office, and um, uh, there's nobody there, so it's not like I have to worry about getting coronavirus in the office. There's no one on the floor of the building, in fact, where my office is. So uh, mm-hmm. I've been commuting back and forth, and I was down in the Capitol yesterday uh, on issues relating to the higher education budget. So things are starting to loosening up a little bit, and hopefully things will loosen up some more as the weather gets better. <laughs> Remember, I'm the optimist. <laughs> right. Um, well, you know, and you and I will be getting our, our next round of boosters maybe in the next couple months too. Who knows? All right. So Blair, I always enjoy talking with you. You're 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 terrific. So you've been listening to Blair Horner, the executive director of NYPIRB, and give out your website so people can look at what you do. 
Sure, you can go to NYPIRG.org, N-Y-P-I-R-G, New York Public Interest Research Group, .org. And it's chock full of stuff that people could look at to look up, you know, who their legislator is or what kind of contaminants might be found in their drinking water supply. <laughs> okay, so um, you've been listening to Blair Horner. I'm Cynthia Pooler. This is Focus on Albany. If you like this show, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. Blair, thank you for always coming on, and thank you, everybody, for listening. Have a great day. Thanks.